When I was a child, I was probably about nine years old, and I remember um, sitting down in my living room, and my dad was home. It must have been a Saturday, I don't know. Uh, And my dad goes over, and he had just bought a new VHS tape. And VHS tapes are uh, amazing devices. If you you don't know what they are, look it up on the Internet. Beautiful devices. Um, You could put a movie on them. But um, my dad came home with a new VHS tape, and he was so um, glad to have it um, because it it featured his favorite actor uh, in apparently what was one of my father's favorite roles for this actor. The actor was, was John Wayne. Uh, And so I have seen a ton of John Wayne movies over the course of my life. Uh, I dare say most, if not all, John Wayne movies um, I've seen over the course of my life one way or another. I enjoy um, a good John Wayne flick. This is a movie I had never seen before, a movie I had never heard before. It was was The Man from Utah um, was was the movie that my my father got out. And this is like, like old John Wayne. He was young. It was... Um, black and white or borderline black and white and he had way too much makeup on and the whole like everything about him looked kind of weird and I sat down and I was watching this movie with my dad and all I remember from this movie in my memory I was eight years old so I've never gone back to check it but I trust that it's accurate John Wayne comes riding into town singing um, in this movie which is not normal for him and he's singing a song and everything's great he rides into town And uh, there's bad guys in town, obviously, because John Wayne is the white hat good guy. And uh, someone shoots at John Wayne, and so he falls off his horse or jumps off his horse, and he gets his um, double-barrel shotgun, and he fires off five shots just randomly, boom, 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 just randomly around this, this, like, city, town that he's in, and, like, six bodies come flying out of the windows. And I remember watching that thinking, my goodness, does John Wayne have a good shot, right? Five shots, six bodies. This man is talented. John Wayne, and there, there may be an exception somewhere in his, uh, his, his long selection of movies that he's in, but you know, he's the hero of almost every movie he's in, right? Every, every time he walks up and you see him on screen, you, you know who the good guy is, and you know that if you watch it long enough, his side is going to prevail. What he is, what the side that he's on is going to win because he's, he's the hero of, of the movie. And, and so John Wayne had this whole long Western uh, career, and then now that's kind of put behind us. There's no one making great Westerns, or at least not, uh, not the same as they were back uh, when John Wayne was making Westerns. And so now we have other heroes that we see on screen, right? We have superhero, comic book hero movies, and you know, the, the whole Marvel series, which is like 58 movies and 700 hours of, 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 of this epic story of good versus evil. But you knew at the end, spoiler alert, right, good guys are going to win, right? Somehow at the end of it, the heroes, the people who are, are there are going are gonna, to gonna be uh, victorious and they're going to be just, just conquering all, right? And so we have this picture of what a hero looks like. And a hero is someone who's on the right side of issues, who doesn't fall prey when difficulties come, who doesn't struggle um, with, 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 with what it is they're supposed to be doing. They know right, they know wrong, and they go after right no matter what. And we hold these people up. And then here, in the real world, not in the fictionalized world, we have heroes. Right? We have people we look at and we say, that person is great. And sometimes we lift people up because of their athletic ability. Right, you have a you have a, a sports figure, and you're like, man, that guy right there is a hero. The Astros have like a hundred guys who are doing that this year, 
They got this kid named Jordan Alvarez, okay? If you've not watched much Astros baseball this year, turn on Astros baseball and watch Jordan Alvarez. This kid is, you know, 23 years old and just absolutely raking the ball all over the yard, right? A hero. When he steps up to the plate, the crowd goes wild. I mean, things are crazy. When the good guy comes up, everybody's on his side. But the problem with human heroes is they fail too often. All right, human heroes, when we elevate people up to a position of hero, or we say, man, that person's got all, whether it's a political hero, or it's a, a military hero, or whatever, we, they, they fail, right? because they're people. They're made of clay, just like you are and I am. Uh, I think about uh, just in the last 10 days, uh, the closer for the Pittsburgh Pirates, that's a pretty important position on a team, um, when he would step onto the field, the crowd would go wild. They would cheer for him. But he just got arrested for, you know, having inappropriate relationships with a 13-year-old, right? Like, and so he went from people would cheer his very name to if he showed up at those people's homes, they might literally kill him, right? The fall from grace happens suddenly for the people that we elevate into high esteem. We have to be careful about who it is that we raise up into hero status. I try really hard as the pastor of this church to let you guys know I am no hero. But I am not the good guy. I try to be a good guy. I try to do good things. I try to uh, model a life of Jesus Christ. But I am just like you, right? I've got flaws and faults and things that are messed up about me. I'm no hero. But, you know, we like to raise up heroes anyways. And one of the early heroes of the church, we're going through the book of Mark. If you have your Bible, you can open up to the end of Mark chapter 14. I think we're starting in verse 53 today. Um, one of the early heroes of the church uh, was, the, was the disciple named Peter. And Peter was a hero of the early church because after Jesus ascended and went to heaven, like he was the, the person everyone looked to for what was true and what was not about what Jesus taught. Peter, along with Jesus' brother James, became the most influential people in uh, early Christianity. The Catholic Church would claim that Peter is the first pope, right? He is the one who, who began the line of absolute truth and knowledge. Peter is absolutely a heroic figure, not only of the early church, but of people now, today, here. All right, but Peter has some issues. We're going to look at those issues today about why, why raising up uh, heroes is a dangerous thing and where it is that we can focus um, our desire to look at someone and worship them. Uh, if you have your Bible, Mark chapter 14, starting in verse 53, this is what the Bible says. It says, And they led Jesus to the high priest, and all the chief priests and the elders and the scribes came together. Now Jesus has just been arrested. He's just been uh, betrayed by, by Judas, and now he's being brought in for examination uh, among the Sanhedrin. This is kind of the Jewish Supreme Court, the most important people in Jewish life, including the high priest. And Peter had followed him at a distance. We see the hero tragically waiting in the wings. And Peter followed him at a distance, right into the courtyard of the high priest. And he was sitting with the guards and warming himself at the fire. Just outside of where Jesus was being interrogated, Peter sat uh, with some people from that, 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 that uh, house who were working um, for the Sanhedrin. Now, the chief priests in the whole council were seeking testimony against Jesus so that they could put him to death, but they couldn't find any. 
For many of them bore false witness against him, but their testimony didn't agree. And some stood up and bore false witness against him, saying, We've heard him say that I will destroy the temple uh, that is made with hands, and in three days I'll build another not made with hands. Yet even about this, their testimony didn't agree. And the high priest stood up in the midst and asked Jesus, Have you no answer to make? What is it that these men testify against you? But he remained silent and made no answer. And again, the high priest asked him, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? And Jesus said, I am, and you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming with clouds of heaven. And the high priest tore his garments and said, uh, What further witnesses do we need? You have heard his blasphemy. What's your decision? They condemned him as being deserving of death. And some began to spit on him and to cover his face and to strike him, saying to them, Prophesy. And the guards received him with heavy blows. So, so here's, here's the story. Jesus is inside uh, being interrogated by uh, the most important, powerful people in his, uh, in his little world. Right? The high priest uh, was, uh, you know, like we have priests and preachers today, and we don't have like ultimate power. But back then, right, in the good old days when the priest could do anything, as well, no, back then the high priest had this crazy amount of power. And he could, do, he could do all sorts of things to people, and he could arrest people. He had the power to do anything he wanted to any Jewish citizen up to the point of killing them. He wasn't allowed to execute people. Rome said, you're not allowed to do that. But anything short of that, they had their own jails that he could put people in. Uh, he could make uh, this man pay a fine to this person. He had amazing amount of power given to him. And Jesus is standing before the most powerful person in his world. And he is getting um, just, just shot thrown at him, shot thrown. They're trying to get someone to come up and testify that Jesus is worthy of being executed. Right? Look, find someone who will say he did this thing that makes him worthy of being executed. But they couldn't find any two people to say the same thing. Jewish law required them um, to have two or three witnesses that agreed about the, the, the important facts of a case. Right? And so if Jesus is being uh, executed for well, the one specific thing, is the, the temple being torn down and rebuilt in three days without human hands, you had to have two people who were not listening to each other's testimony come together and say the exact same thing about the particular. So Jesus is going to tear the temple down, and then Jesus is going to rebuild the temple, but not with hands. Those are kind of the, the pertinent details. They couldn't even find people to agree about that. This is a frustrating thing for the most powerful man in, the, in that region of the world. And so he's looking at Jesus, and he's trying to bait Jesus. He's trying to get Jesus to self-incriminate, right? You don't have the, the Fifth Amendment, right? You can't um, not self-incriminate yourself in um, ancient Jewish uh, court. And so he says, what do you have to say to these people? What's your response to these people? How are you going to respond to them? And he says, nothing. Right? Jesus has nothing to say. We, we know because, you know, like, like a lamb led to slaughter, right? Jesus uh, didn't open his mouth and didn't cry out. Right? He didn't go and, and say, these guys are lying and hypocrites and all of you people are liars, too. He just sat there and took it. He just listened to what they had to say and sat there. And then the high priest goes further and he says, well, what do you have to say about the claim that you're the Messiah? And on that point, Jesus had something to say, he said, that's me. 
Right? You ask if I'm the Son of God, you ask if I'm the Messiah, he's like, I am, and I'm going to come back, and I'm going to come with real power. Not the power that you have that's kind of been given to you by some king somewhere that lets you do some stuff. I'm going to come with real power on the clouds, and you're going to see it happen. You better watch yourself. Now, that was a threat to the high priest, a threat to the high priest's position and his authority. And the high priest said, that's blasphemy, right? If I was to claim up here today, by the way, if I said that I'm the son of God, right, and that I'm going to come back in power and majesty, some of my deacons should probably come up here and help me off the stage, and then someone should come fill in and finish this thing out, okay? Um, right, because that would be blasphemy if I was to stand up and say, I'm the son of God, right? That's David Koresh-level blasphemy. It's a dangerous place to be, right? And so, so uh, when Jesus said that, they said, man, this guy is, is claiming to be God's son. It's blasphemy if it's not true. And for Jesus' sake, it was. Jesus stands up to the most powerful people in the world and shares the truth about who he is to them. And then the story continues down in verse 66. It says, and as Peter, remember, he's been in the courtyard the whole time, watching the case, watching this. He may have, may, may have just seen Jesus get beaten. We don't really know uh, what, where this falls in the story. But as Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came. And seeing Peter uh, warming himself, she looked at him and said, You also were with the Nazarene Jesus. But he denied it, saying, Neither I know nor understand what you mean. And he went out into the gateway, and the rooster crowed. And the servant girl saw him and began again to say to the bystanders, This man is one of them, but again he denied it. And after a little while, the bystanders again said to Peter, Certainly you are one of them, for you are a Galilean. But he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I don't know this man of whom you speak. And immediately the rooster crowed a second time, and Peter remembered how Jesus had said to him, before the rooster crows twice, you would deny me three times. And he broke down and he wept. Guys, this, uh, so Jesus is in, in there standing up to the most powerful person in his world. Right? That would be the equivalent of standing up to the president and the, the, the you know, whatever uh, group of the, 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 the Congress you want to say is in there. Maybe members of the House and the, the Senate. The most important people in the world are interrogating this guy, and Jesus stands firm and resolute in the face of these people. Peter is outside watching his master. And there's something to be said about that, right? Jesus, uh, Peter loved Jesus enough to follow him even though it was dangerous. Right? There was a danger that Peter was going to be associated with Jesus, and they were already arresting Jesus for something. Right, and had aims to execute him for something. And so Peter associating with Jesus was a dangerous thing to do. But Peter inside of himself couldn't let uh, Jesus go alone. Maybe he remembered the words that he has said to Jesus. says, I will not leave you. While others may depart and while others may not follow you, I will. I don't know about these other 11 disciples, but I'm going to be there with you, Jesus. Nothing can stop me. From being with you. Maybe he remembered those words, or maybe that's just the character of Peter. Peter was a faithful disciple of Jesus Christ. But Peter goes uh, to, to, to the courtyard and he watches his master stare down the most powerful people in the world, and then a little girl comes up to Peter. 
a little girl. Now, this is important, right? Because Jesus is literally staring down power, and Peter is staring down the opposite of power. I know today girls get t-shirts that say, like, girls rule the world, and we have all this stuff going on right now. But back then, that was not true. That was not true, right? Girls were, uh, were kind of necessary evils. Like, if you had a daughter, you're like, oh, I had a daughter, right? You know, like, but I'm going to try again. I'm going to have a son, right? I'm going to try again. Because sons were where the power was. Son is where you pass down property, and daughters are who marry your sons, right? Sons were where it was at. Women weren't treated with respect and dignity like, 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 like they are and like they deserve to be treated today. And this little girl, not even 12 years old likely, who works for the high priest, so she was there tending to the men around the fire, a nothing. Someone who has no authority. She couldn't speak in a case. If she was taken up there to the, where Jesus was under a trial, she couldn't even give testimony to say, yes, I heard Jesus say this, because her testimony wouldn't be valid because she was a little girl. And this servant girl walks up to Peter, the greatest of the disciples, the, 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 you know, the, the, the greatest leader in the church. And she walks up to Peter and she says, hey, you, you're with him, right? And Peter crumbles. He crumbles in front of the least intimidating person in the world. In a situation that, that if, if it was any other situation, that girl would never intimidate Peter, the rock, the, 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 the strong one who Jesus was going to build his ministry around. He never would have, would have fallen into that trap of falling to this little girl. But she says, you're one of them. And in that moment, after a night of craziness, of on and off sleep and uh, Jesus being arrested and ears getting chopped off after a night of craziness in that place right there where he wants to be faithful to Jesus, in that second, he crumbles. He denies he knows Jesus and then he runs away from the little girl. Right? He was by the fire where they could see his, his features and complexions and maybe someone might have been around Jesus enough to really pin Peter as being one of Jesus' disciples. And so he runs away from the light and goes out to the gateway to the courtyard, away from the fire where people won't be able to see him. And this little girl, she just won't let it go. Right? She's like, I know she's talking to me. I know he's one of them. I know. And he's like, shut up. I'm not one of them. <laughs> Leave me alone. Right? Peter's trying so hard to push this little girl's testimony aside because he doesn't want to be identified with the man inside among the powerful people. No, I don't know him. Leave me alone. I don't know him. Uh, right? And then she goes, uh, or one of the bystanders walks up to Jesus that this little girl had put on him. And she says, really, you've got to be one of them. Because you're from there. You sound like them. You talk like them. You've got to be one of them. And then Peter denies Christ for the third time. The rooster crows for the second time. The prophecy that Jesus had done I don't know, earlier this chapter, I think, maybe the end of the last chapter. Earlier this chapter, the prophecy that Peter or Jesus had given to Peter came true just like that. And this story right here, where Peter broke down and wept, this is the last time Peter appears in the Gospel of Mark. This is significant. This is the last time Peter appears in the Gospel of Mark. We know, because we read the full account with John and some other Gospel accounts, 
that Peter keeps going, right? Peter is at the tomb uh, to see the resurrected Jesus Christ. Jesus appears to Peter. Jesus restores Peter um, by the shore after the, the catch of miraculous fishes. We know that Peter is restored, but Mark, when he tells the story of the gospel of Jesus Christ, leaves Peter broken. A fallible man, absolutely broken. And if you're smart, which you are, right, you would ask yourself the question, why? Why would he leave it that way when Jesus did restore Peter? Why would he leave it that way when Peter was one of like two disciples to run to the temple? And sure, he was a little slower than John, but I mean, he got there eventually to the tomb to see the empty tomb. Why did he leave Peter as a broken, broke-down disciple? And I think the answer is because that's what we are. Right? We're all broken people. Peter, during the, this book was written in about... 50 A.D., roughly, um, 50 to 60 A.D., the, the, the Gospel of Mark was written. Peter was the most powerful person in Christendom when this book was written. When Mark wrote the Gospel of Mark and co- collated it all and concatenated it all and put it together, thank you, Zach, for that, uh, and, and put the book together and said, here is one story about the, about the life of Jesus Christ. Peter was, like, sitting in Jerusalem along with James as leaders of the early church. Everyone admired him. Everyone looked up to him. What he said was gospel. And Mark is subversively trying to say, be careful, be careful elevating him. And if you can't elevate Peter, who was a great follower of Christ, who did a wonderful job in the founding of the early church, if you can't elevate him, you can't elevate anyone. I've seen a lot of pastors come through build huge churches, have people follow them to the ends of the earth, and then they act the fool, right? They, they, they end up just like Peter in a situation that would never have caused them problems, never would have been an issue, never would have caused them any, any reason to fall or fail, and in that situation, they fall on their face. Pastors who preach grace, who preach forgiveness, who preach um, the, 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 the glory of Jesus Christ and his resurrection, good gospel-preaching pastors falling down, whether they fall into sexual sin or financial sin or, or, or whether they just renounce the faith because things got messy, something happens to them. And when that happens, that huge church that they built absolutely suffers. There was a pastor by the name of Ted Haggard. I don't know if y'all are familiar with Ted Haggard. Ted Haggard um, was pastor of a church in Colorado. Um, Colorado Springs, I believe, is where his church was. Huge church. He was the president of the uh, National Association of Evangelicals, which is a kind of a ecumenical evangelical group that works politically and stuff like that. But he was the leader of that, along with being the pastor of this massive megachurch. Right? And then all of a sudden, everything unfolded. Right? He had a drug addiction and a homosexuality problem, and he had all these problems. They all hit the news at the same time. And that church reeled. The pastor who came in after him was actually a relative to a friend of mine. Right? And when he came in there, he had to hold everything together because the church was falling apart because the hero of the church had shown that he was not worthy of their worship. Guys, there is not a person, male or female, in this world worthy of your worship. Your wife may be tremendous, mine is, but she is not worthy of your worship. Your husband could be the most godly man that you've ever 
met. He's not worthy of your worship. His feet were formed from clay, and he will show you that at some point in time. There's not a pastor or a political leader. Let me tell you something about our political discourse in this country right now. We are messed up. We elevate whoever, person X, your person, as, as, as the end-all, be-all, perfect, righteous person. And anything they say, even if it's stupid, is right, right? But whoever they're against, right? It's not just that we have issues with them. They become the enemy of us, right? So if you're a Republican, the Democrat is the enemy. I don't know who the Democrat nominee is going to be, Biden, Warren, Harris. I have no idea who the Democrats are going to end up running up there and running against Donald Trump. But the way it's going to go in, you know, 12 months is you're going to have a hero and you're going to have a villain, And I want to tell you something, both of those aren't true. Donald Trump should not be your hero. Joe Biden should not be your hero. You can vote for him, you can love them, you can think that they're the best thing for this country at this time from the people that are available to you. God bless you as you seek to discern that. But the other side isn't the villain, and your side isn't the hero. It's messed up people, guys. We're messed up. There's not a person in this world who isn't messed up. So take our eyes off worshiping our heroes and focus on the only one who's worthy of being worshipped. The reason that Mark tells this story this way is to demote Peter and to elevate Christ. Peter falls and ends up weeping, right? Running away from a little girl, running away like a little girl from a little girl. He's demoting this hero of the faith of his time, and he's elevating the only one who should be a hero, which is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ goes and speaks truth to power. Jesus Christ goes and never fails. You know, uh, where, where we people fail over and over and over again, Christ prevails. He wins every time. He's never lost. Right, we're going to see in like, I don't know, just, just a few weeks, what looks like defeat for Jesus. He's going to be on the cross dying, and it's going to look like the hero has lost, but he doesn't even lose at death. Christ wins. He prevails. People fail. Christ prevails. It's just the way it works, guys. So stop with elevating people. We are all messed up. There's not an exception to that. And some of those people that are more messed up than us, I like that term, by the way, because we feel good about ourselves, right? We look at other people and say, well, they're really messed up. I'm just this much messed up. You know what they need, guys? They need a hero to fight for them. And they don't need a political party. They don't even need a pastor. They need a hero who stands and fights back the things that we can't fight on our own. Guys, we've got to tell people about Jesus. He's better than anything else. He's worthy of us telling people about him. So you've got to do it. Church, you've got to do it. You've got to make Jesus great, and you've got to keep people in the proper thing. There's great people, good people, loving people, kind people. But they're people, people on the back end. Keep them in their role. Love them, right? We're supposed to love our neighbor as ourselves. That's one of the second command, right? We're supposed to care about people. But elevate Christ 
in the way you talk. When, you, when you're online, right, and politics is on my mind because I think it's where we mess up most easily, right? For, for, for me, like, I, I try not to get involved publicly. In, you want to talk to me privately about politics? I'll talk to you privately about politics. Publicly, I don't get involved in politics because I feel like there's nothing good that's going to come from it, right? I'll alienate half of y'all. Other half of you will think that I'm, I'm, I've got the right side of all issues, okay? But I watch people online. Good people. I'm not talking about any of y'all necessarily. Um, but good people. People who I know personally who, who love Jesus. And then I look at how they behave online and I think, that's not cool. That's not cool, guys. That's not honest. That's not, that's not, there's no integrity there. It's ugly. Guys, we got to be better than that. Church has got to be better than that. You know, one of the reasons that people have issues with church is the church isn't always better than that. We're politically involved. We're tied in to one side winning and the other side losing. The truth is, guys, we need to be on the side of Jesus Christ winning. And the way Jesus Christ wins is we make his name great today. So tell someone about it. Instead of telling people why Donald Trump is the Antichrist, right, or why Donald Trump is the Savior of America, tell people why Jesus Christ is the Savior of the world. It will be better for you to do that. I promise. Instead of focusing on all the faults of Democratic candidate X, right, or all the wonderful things of Democratic candidate X, focus on the wonderful things of Jesus Christ. People need to see something better. And if we don't tell them, no one is. So we need to hold ourselves responsible for what we say and how we say it. Guys, some of us have championed the wrong person too long. And we're Christians, but our champion is someone else. And if you're a Christian, your champion is Jesus Christ. He's the one who fought death. He's the one who fought sin. He's the one who won the victory. If you don't stand behind him... You're in the wrong line. If you don't know Jesus Christ today, it would be a good thing for you to understand that there's someone who loves you before you were made, before you were born, and through all the nonsense that you've done. He knows that you're fallible. He knows you make mistakes. He knows that you, you, you won't make it through this day without saying, thinking, or doing something stupid. And he still came and fought for you. When he stands silently before the Sanhedrin, the council that we read about today, he's doing that for you. He's fighting back powers and authorities so that you don't have to do that. In a couple weeks, when he he goes to the cross and he dies on the cross, he doesn't die for himself. He dies for you. He dies for sins other people committed. And all we have to do, the Bible says, is to, to believe on Jesus Christ and we will be saved. That means to place your faith your hope, your trust in Him. Trust that what He did was for you. And lean into Him for salvation. And He's good to bring salvation to people like me. Messed up, broken, earthy people like me. And I'll tell you, if He can save this guy, He can save you. He can save you. You're not too far gone. So if you don't know Jesus, today is a day to get to meet Jesus Christ. It's a good day for you. If you do know Jesus, I want you to champion the right hero from now on. I want you to keep your earthly heroes where they belong. Right on a platform right next to yourself. Right? They're fallen. 
frail. Right, there's a whole lot of scuttlebutt about the Confederate monuments. It's died down recently. It'll probably come back because we've got another presidential campaign coming, coming up soon, so I'm sure it'll, it'll, it'll bubble back up because it's a fun political issue. But, you know, the whole idea of the Confederate monuments going down, right, that's a, that's a weird thing, right? Because, like, these people are they're heroes, and then you look closer and you're like, ooh, there's some ugly stuff there too. That's the, truth of, that's the truth of every person that we elevate up. All of them. They might be heroic. They might have done some wonderful things. And I, I'm not against necessarily having monuments to recognize people. Right? History is kind of a weird thing. Right? We learn as we go. But anyone we elevate up, guys, we have to understand, they're broken. Unless we're elevating Jesus. So stop it. Stop elevating pastors sports figures, military war heroes, John Wayne, God bless him. Stop elevating these people and elevate the only one who will not let you down. He hasn't let me down yet and he's never going to let you down. Elevate Christ today because where we fail, Christ prevails.